Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. You're in the clubhouse with Kyle Bailey. I am furious with Matt Rule. Furious, I tell you. Kind of, not really. Welcome in, Sports Radio FNZ. Kyle Bailey with you back on a Thursday morning. Evan Smoke Ludwig over there in the cockpit. And uh, yeah, I just came from Bank of America Stadium. They had uh, another training camp practice this morning. And We knew the window would be tight, but thought we'd catch some practice before the show and have some things to pass along. But uh, Matt Rule, apparently, he didn't know I was coming this morning, Smoke, and he kept those guys in the bubble while we were standing outside on the hill awaiting the outdoor portion of practice. So, I mean, I I got some vitamin D and a couple of nice uh, training camp selfies out of it on Twitter and Instagram, but that's about it. Oh, and I got to watch Shaq Thompson warm up for about 30 minutes. That's about the extent of it. So after all the defending you've done for Matt Rule over the past few months, are you now joining the revolution of people against Matt Rule? Yes, I, I am furious now. I'm joining in the chorus of criticisms and boos about the red number one injury jerseys and you know the uh, the covert shade being thrown at Cam Newton. And I, yes, I'm joining the chorus of just irrational anger directed at one coach, Matt Rule. No, I'm kidding. Apparently his practice schedule this morning included an extensive indoor session. I think maybe special teams thought I saw Joseph Charlton poke his head out, out the, uh, the bubble door right before I left, but I heard a lot of whistle blowing, a whole lot of yelling and a lot of Shaq Thompson and his black Jersey uh, on the side outside with the trainer getting loose for about 30 minutes. So I, I wish I had more to report, but that's about the extent of what I have. Well, honestly, you have no one to blame but yourself in this scenario. What, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is that supposed to mean? Well, we had the esteemed Bill Vofe on yesterday. <laughs> and what did he say that he's having to get used to? It's that these Matt Rule practices are unpredictable. One day they could be outside. One day they could be inside. He wants to keep the players on his toes. He also wants to keep the media members on his toes because you thought they were going to be outside. 
They were inside. Well, they were inside, right? So I, you know, we were, I'm standing outside with uh, Mick Mixon and Nick Carboni of WCNC and NBC Charlotte and Josh Sims and Zach Aldridge and all these guys. We're all just standing on the side of a hill up there on Cedar Street on the uh, the three outdoor practice fields next to the bubble, uh, waiting for the team to come out. I'm sure they're out by now. I've, I've tried to bust it back to the truck and uh, get back up the hill here to the studio. So maybe next time I attend practice, I will actually see something worth reporting. But this morning, not the case. Unless you do want an extensive breakdown of uh, you know the, the sidestep shuffling and the stretching that Shaq Thompson was doing this morning. I mean, if you think that that you can extrapolate that out to uh, tackles and and defensive leadership, otherwise you're you're probably just out of luck this morning. But the Panthers do continue practice up there, and and I did. I was listening to Mac literally what 20 minutes ago, driving up the hill, and I, I hear them get back into this discussion about the red jerseys, the red number one jerseys, the injury jerseys. And Max saying, how did nobody up there have the foresight? How did nobody up there? Oh, I know I've railed on this already. You got to let it go. We're grown folks. We got to let this go. I mean, there, there's no reason to believe that this is shade that Matt Rule is giving any of his mental bandwidth to a guy he doesn't coach and likely will never coach. You know, and Max saying, well, you know, you just got to have the foresight. He's been injured. Well, it's really not so much about Cam always being injured because prior to the last two years, the guy wasn't injured. He was one of the toughest, most durable players in the NFL. You know, so if, if we actually stop and think this through a little bit further down the line there, it's probably not that. But again, you know, practice going on this morning. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. We've got a live stream over here on one screen that I'm keeping an eye on as we go throughout the show to see if there's anything of particular note. But uh, that's about it for this morning already. The obvious thing to get to from last night is Tom Brenneman and that Reds broadcast and what happened. And, and it was a... That was a cardinal sin that was committed last night by Tom Brenneman, first and foremost, Broadcasting 101. Tom Brenneman, a voice of the Cubs on the television side, son of the famed Marty Brenneman. Tom Brenneman said this coming back from break last night during the Reds broadcast. The capitals of the world. Reds Live, the pregame show presented by Ray St. Clair Roofing. Now, it was quick, it was simple, and it was bleeped out. So you, you, unless you've seen it already, you might not know what he said. It was a homophobic slur. It was repulsive. It was wildly offensive and insulting to a whole lot of people. It has no place in a broadcast. That much I think most of us can agree upon. You know, And, and I, I last night addressed it on Twitter saying, well, that's how a live microphone will quickly end a broadcasting career. And I had some, some people say, well, yeah, that okay, but it was more about the super offensive thing that he said. Absolutely. I think that goes without saying. At least it should. That was a wildly offensive thing and uh, something that has no place on broadcast television at all. You know, but what I meant by that was, and I told somebody, explained it this way, that's that's broadcasting 101. It's like when you have, you know, if you're if you're at all familiar with guns, right? What's the most basic thing you're told about operating a gun? You don't point a gun at anything you don't intend to shoot. Well, in broadcasting, you don't say anything around a live microphone that you don't want people to hear. Now, there, there's more that goes into it, but on top of what he said and being replaced mid-broadcast by Jim Day, before that happened last night... He came back from break and attempted to give an apology live on the air. I made a comment earlier tonight that uh, I guess uh, went out over the air that I am deeply ashamed of. Um, if I have hurt anyone out there, I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart, I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith, as there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4-0 ball game. 
I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. I don't know if it's going to be for the Reds. I don't know if it's going to be for my bosses at Fox. I want to apologize for the people who signed my paycheck for the Reds, for Fox Sports Ohio, for the people I work with, for anybody that I've offended here tonight. I can't begin to tell you how deeply sorry I am. That is not who I am uh, and never has been. And I'd like to think maybe I could have some people that, uh, that could back that up. I am very, very sorry, and I beg for your forgiveness. Jim Day will take you the rest of the way home. Unreal. I, I've I've not seen many things like that in my time in, in broadcasting or really at all. We, we, we've seen blunders. We've seen people make mistakes on the air, both in live broadcasts and on sports talk shows. It, it's happened. There's no question about that. There's been plenty of those. But in a live broadcast like that, I, I've not seen much like that in my lifetime. And to make it even more insane, he's delivering an on-air apology while Nick Castellanos goes yard. And he and he never breaks stride. I guess you actually could say that he does, but it almost it's almost like he didn't break stride mid-apology to, in a very monotone way, deliver a home run call as, as that, that home run is blasted off the bat of Nick Castellanos. Right, and here's the thing. What he said coming back from break, I thought Pam had a really interesting theory. The fact that 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 mic was on as early as it was. I don't know if there's some conspiracy theory there to be explored that maybe he'd said some things causing, you know, and this, by the way, that was not the first time that I'd heard what she proposed. I saw it written a lot last night that maybe somebody on his crew decided to out him. I don't know. You know, I think people should be allowed to make mistakes and have second chances. I believe in redemption. It's one of, I think, the, the fundamental tenets of this great country that we live in. But the way that he said it, is going to be a complete non-starter for a lot of people when it comes to second chances and forgiveness, or at least him continuing on as the voice of the Reds on 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 their regional sports network up there. He he said it with his with his gut. I mean, it came with so much contempt when he said it. I don't think there's any walking back what he said last night. I've seen the Reds have suspended him. I can't imagine that that he's making it through that. But that was one of the most bizarre things that I've ever seen happen. In live sports. And then to make matters crazier, again, he's delivering an apology. Castellanos hits a home run to left center field, and the ball lands in the judgment-free zone. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not kidding. You cannot make this stuff up. He he lets a, a homophobic slur fly on a hot mic and then comes back on the air like nothing happened, tries to come back and then deliver an apology, has to call a home run mid-apology, and said home run lands in the judgment-free zone in left center field. Again, you couldn't script this sort of thing last night. That is one of the most memorable broadcasting blunders I've ever seen, and we'll be talking about that one for, for 25 years to come. That was crazy last night. I, I've Again, I've never seen anything like it. Not much anyway. And and what he said was, again, wildly offensive to a lot of people. And, and in broadcast television like that, it's not just about people, you know, clamoring on Twitter, calling for his head, wanting his head on a spike and, you know, just going after the guy for what he said. I mean, that's loss of sponsorships and, and advertisers and embarrassment for the entire broadcasting company and the team that he's affiliated with. That was awful. Absolutely terrible. And that is from one of the, the preeminent voices of baseball last night. That's the sort of thing that you 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 may make it back from at some point. There have been some pretty notable broadcasters. I don't need to rattle through them all that have made those kind of mistakes and have eventually made their way back to broadcasting. But it is a long and arduous road to get there. And just I mean, listening to him last night, you could tell that he was sick to his stomach uh, as he was trying to deliver that apology because he knew he probably just drove a stake right through the heart of his broadcasting career. A pretty illustrious, uh, illustrious broadcasting career at that. 
And someone said last night, well, yeah, KB, uh, Kobe Bryant did something similar years ago, was caught on the uh, the Lakers bench hurling a homophobic slur. He made it through. Well, yeah, and and you can take issue with this if you want to, but you know Kobe Bryant is one of the greatest basketball players of all time in terms of you know he's irreplaceable in in many ways, and he was the star of a, of a franchise that is one of the most famous on earth. Tom Brenneman's a broadcaster, albeit a good one, but those guys are pretty replaceable, and and he's not. I, I can't imagine making it back from that. Seven zero four five seven zero ninety six ten Asa Abloy phone lines building center text line. I know we're going to have folks chiming in on that. But it was a very, very embarrassing incident for, for Tom Brenneman, who, again, comes from great broadcasting lineage and Marty Brenneman. But the way he delivered what he said coming back from break accidentally last night left a lot of doubt for no people that, you know, he's he, he may have used that kind of language in the past. And it's it's not something that he was necessarily, you know, sorry for beyond the fact that he got caught. I don't know. I'm not in the guy's head. I'm not in the guy's heart. I don't know that. All I know is he broke a, a cardinal rule of broadcasting you you don't say anything around a live mic that you don't want people to hear but that's the thing about live mics they have a way of exposing people and that's what happened to tom brenneman last night we got a big show for you on a thursday coming up in about 30 minutes we'll talk some nfl with jason locking for us cbs sports radio.com nfl insider he's now hosting afternoons up in baltimore something he got into about six months ago we'll talk to jason coming up in about 30 minutes about all the news in the nfl but we'll get his thoughts on Matt Rule, uh, another person in the NFL media who is very, very optimistic about the Panthers' future under Matt Rule. So we'll talk to JLC coming up at 1040. I have a lot that I want to get into uh, this this morning and this afternoon. So hit us up. Find us on Twitter at Kyle Bailey Club. It's at Kyle Bailey C-L-U-B and at Clubhouse KB on Twitter. NFL news. Panthers clearly reaction to Tom Brenneman last night setting the internet on fire with one of the most bizarre clips from a broadcast that you will ever see. But when we come back, something that also came out last night, the ongoing soap opera that is the Big Ten Conference and Big Ten football. Their commissioner, Kevin Warren, under fire again over questions as to whether or not there was even a vote by the Big Ten presidents and chancellors at all to cancel the football season or if this was a unilateral decision by Kevin Warren, who had an interview with the Sports Business Journal yesterday only answered one question and then issued a statement saying, we're putting this to rest. We will not revisit reinstating the 2020 season. But what they have in mind in trying to make up for a lost fall football season is something that needs to be discussed and is nearly impossible to believe that they think it's going to work. I'll explain it next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. FNZ. All you need to know, the best sports knowledge resides right here. Listen to Wilson and Parcel anywhere on the radio.com app. This is Sports Radio FNZ. Yeah, the announcement to postpone football was extremely disappointing. Witnessing the confusion on our guys' faces when I shared their news of postponement um, last week was gut-wrenching. It is my responsibility to help our guys chase their dreams and delivering the news felt like I was doing the opposite. It felt like I was taking away their dream to play at Penn State, even if for some it's only temporary. James Franklin, head football coach, Penn State Nittany Lions, his frustration with the Big Ten trying to play a spring football season. Well, 
You can hear it right there. Sports Radio FNZ. Kyle Bailey back with you on a Thursday morning. Evan Smoke Ludwig back in the cockpit as well. It came out last night that the Big Ten is considering not just a a spring football season, but something even slightly different. Uh, The Big Ten announcing it was canceling its fall season just last week. It said it hoped to hold the season in the spring, but the conference, obviously, as we learned last night, may not even wait that long to do so. Uh, The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, the first to report last night that the Big Ten has been working on a revised schedule that would begin in early January. The report citing multiple sources within the conference saying that the Big Ten is now concentrating on starting the season as early as possible. It's a report that coincides with Penn State Athletic Director Sandy Barber telling reporters earlier this week that the league could release a new schedule within a week or so. On top of that, reports out of Columbus yesterday from Jeff Snook that outside the the Big Ten in its entirety, that Ohio State AD Gene Smith was working with as many as five other Big Ten programs, including Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin, Penn State, and others, to try to do a 10-game conference schedule with just those participating members. But the Big Ten now is apparently working on a plan to start playing college football in January, which leaves a lot of people wondering, well, what's the difference? How does this really work out any better for the conference starting a football season in the middle of January in the upper Midwest and a plan to play indoors at that? You know, and, and if you believe much of what's been you know founded or discovered with the, the scientific method here of studying the coronavirus and everything else, that playing indoors may actually be a worse scenario than playing football outdoors. And again, you're talking about playing in the upper Midwest in January, which sounds splendid, obviously. But what, what is different in the case of safety and keeping everything, I don't know, tight, sealed, keeping these kids away from whatever danger is still perceived to be out there right now in January as opposed to October, November, December? It leaves a lot of people, and I've listened to a lot of medical professionals talk about this in the last 12 hours, saying, look, we understand why you might have some very serious safety concerns about playing college football right now or even through the fall, but how, how is January any better? And, and people just having a very, very difficult time understanding that, and i I got to be honest, I'm one of them. You know, I got into this yesterday again, and I keep repeating it because I feel some people do need to hear it. If it's not safe to play, don't play. But if you're telling me you think January is going to be the time that you can pull this off, well, that doesn't make any sense to a lot of folks. You know, especially when you start considering what is actually being discussed as the primary reason for not playing college football October, November, December. Hell, Nick Saban has weighed in in the last couple of days saying this feels like, what, is this going to be a JV season? You know, none of our top prospects are going to play. And if you're going to do this and you still intend on playing in empty stadiums, well, does that really help you make back some of the lost revenue that is going to take place as a result of, you know, even playing this fall in empty stadiums? The Big Ten is, I think, guilty of one thing above all else, and that is terrible, terrible messaging. Now, if you want to dig into the reasons, the medical reasons, fine. We can debate those in earnest and and should be an honest, open discussion. We don't have to do that here again today, but that's fine. But the messaging out there is why the Big Ten is coming under the fire the way that it has been. There's a reason the Pac-12 is not taking nearly as much heat as the Big Ten is at this moment. You're not making any sense in what you're telling people as to why you won't do this. Kevin Warren, again yesterday, taking one question from the Sports Business Journal on a panel that he had already committed to, I believe, months ago. He fulfilled that obligation, but did so apparently under the uh, demand that it was only a simple question, one question, no follow-up as to why they're not playing in the spring. And Smoke and I were going to play that for you, but the truth is it's two minutes of him saying absolutely nothing. And, and it's not that I don't think that you could get any. Well, actually, I don't think you could get anything out of it. 
I mean, Smoke, you're shaking your head over there. I've listened to it. You've listened to it. In two in two minutes, Kevin Warren doesn't say much of anything at all. Yeah, I, I remember I sent it to you yesterday. I'm like, wait, he didn't say anything. And I'm like, all right, might as well just send it to you because it's Kevin Warren saying something. But he's saying nothing. And it's not like the good nothing to where you think you're hearing something. To like what a, a Dabo Sweeney does sometimes to media members. It's like, oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, wait, he didn't say anything. It's like, wait, he didn't say anything, and it didn't make any sense, and it's only making this situation worse. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can't you can't even call it a spring season if you want to play in January. But even if you want to call it a spring season, maybe they would still look at pushing it back to a potential spring season. Uh, Wake Forest AD John Curry joined the Mac Attack yesterday and offered his thoughts on possibly play, playing a spring season in the ACC. Well, I'm committed to the fall, and I'm also committed to doing what's best for our student athletes and. You know, in many respects, and Coach Glossin certainly articulated some of this last week, after all the time and energy and investment that our football student-athletes and other student-athletes as well have put into getting ready for this season, um, if you think about not playing this fall and then saying, hey, after a long semester of school, don't go home for a Christmas or for holiday break because you're going to be in training camp again uh, in January, and I mean in, in December and January, so we can say that we might have a season again in the springtime to me that's disingenuous for our student athletes and um it's not particularly fair to ask them to do that the other aspect even if you look at a sport like soccer at wake forest where we're you know we've been in six collegiate cups including last year um we have a number i think we have seven five or seven uh, mls players playing right now uh, including a couple off of last year's teams you know many of our soccer student athletes um you know at the end of this semester they're, they're on track to graduate they're going to graduate in december and, and uh, they're going to turn professional. So for those guys, they want to be together and play together and train together now. Well, and, and he makes some solid points there. The other issue for me is is on top of the discussion as to play or, or not to play is now the fact that some of these stadiums are very much intending to have limited capacity fans in the stands. That That is perplexing to me. I, I've actually listened to Dr. David Chow uh, a couple of times in the past day or so discuss this and, and the, the reasons or justification both for and against playing college football. And this is a man with a, a very real medical background. He's been on this show multiple times, former NFL team physician. And he's, he's stationed out in San Diego. He works in San Diego, but his daughter actually attends the University of South Carolina just down the road here. And he's talked about that when he's been on this show. And, and he has said repeatedly, you know, look, I, I have no problem sending my kids back to school so long as I know the protocols and the safety plans are in place. He said, and quite frankly, you know, I understand both for and against the reasons why you would or would not play college football. He said, but the truth is, I actually believe that if you're going to do this, it's safer to have the players in empty stadiums than it is to have limited capacity fans in the stands where you have people maybe socially distanced, but still crowded around the field, screaming, yelling, you know, maybe not a quote unquote super spreader type of event like the way it would be if you had a full capacity stadium, but still problematic. So the truth is there's there are multiple layers of, of confusions and complexities and arguments for and against. And I just keep coming back to, if it's not safe, don't play. But let's not completely write off the possibility that this could be done safely because, well, this is important to a lot of people. And this will have a very real impact on the lives of student athletes and coaches, just like uh, the opposite arguments would have you believe as well. There's no easy decision here. That's why I've always said I don't, I don't envy those in charge of making the decision as to whether or not to do this because, well, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If the ACC, Big Ten, and SEC decide you know, they, they're going to reverse course in a week or in a month and not play college football, well, the anger and the criticism and the backlash is going to be just as loud, if not louder, 
than if they choose to play because that chorus of criticism and anger from those who think it's not safe or that it's irresponsible to play sports or that we should be just pressing the pause button to get everything under control. They're damned if they do and damned if they don't. Regardless of the decision they make, these conferences are going to come under massive amounts of scrutiny and massive amounts of criticism. But one of the things, only one of those decisions will cost them even more money. That's the way they're looking at this. And it's the way I've, I've told you you have to look at this five months ago when people were asking, do you think they're going to play college football? Well, I damn sure think they're going to try because there's too much money at stake if they don't. You know, I've got like, like probably some of you out there, I've got a lot of friends that work and have worked in college athletics. One in particular is the CFO of a Power 5 uh, program with a heavyweight football program. And, and talked to him yesterday, and, and I said, very simply, are you going to play? And he just kind of he, he chuckled and said, Kyle, I, I think we have to. And he said, I, financially, I think we have to. And that's the spot that they're in right now. So you can criticize either way, and regardless of the decision they make, these people are going to come under fire. So they're tasked and charged with doing what's in the best interest of the student-athlete, and you've got uh, you know, students and athletes and coaches all over the country, those involved very much in the weeds in this, saying, we can do this. We, we, we can do this. We feel safe. We know we can manage this. But on the other hand, the Big Ten and Pac-12 especially saying, ah, the risk is just too great. So what's the answer? I don't, I don't think there's an easy one at all. All right, we got a lot to get to. Jason Lockenfora is going to join us. Radio.com NFL Insider coming up here in about 13 minutes. Uh, we'll talk to him about the latest in the NFL. And obviously today, we talk about the NBA draft lottery. The playoffs going on. No Hornets involved. We did get the news yesterday that the Hornets and those other seven teams, the Delete Eight, if you will, have been given permission by the league to start conducting practices and off-season workouts, something that James Borrego and company have desperately been trying to get an answer on because they've understandably felt left out and behind the eight ball for the past several weeks as 22 other teams have been playing and practicing while those other eight teams have been left doing absolutely nothing. So we got that news yesterday, but right now it's about the NBA draft lottery and the Hornets with a 26% chance to pick in the top four of the NBA draft lottery tonight, 73% chance of picking eighth, ninth, or 10th. And specifically, if you wonder just about the number one pick, a 6% chance to land the number one overall pick. So yeah, I mean, six times out of 100, you know, they, they could land the number one overall pick. It's not likely to happen. We know this is a national day of frustration for Hornets fans, but I do like their odds of a top four pick smoke. 26% chance to pick in the top four. Those aren't the worst odds. Got my game face on. Got your game face on? What yeah. what is what is your game face? Ready for disappointment again. I, I would imagine your game face looks a little bit like bitter beer face. Yes. When it comes to the Hornets draft lottery odds. It's just like I it's like the scene of Malcolm in the middle where the youngest kid's like, I expected nothing and I'm still disappointed. <laughs> that's me with the Hornets lottery. Yeah, that's, that's that's where we are right now. But the NBA draft lottery tonight, what are you hoping for? Are you are you at all excited? about the NBA draft lottery for the Hornets. I, I am. But then again, maybe I'm different than most or some. I don't know how, how people fall on this. I know there's so much general apathy and frustration when it comes to the NBA draft lottery. I saw people last night saying, you know what? 2020 is the worst year ever, but maybe this is the year where the Hornets actually break the trend and get a little luck in the NBA draft lottery tonight. Hopefully that's the case, because if they can land a top four pick with a 26% chance to do so, there's some options up there that could really help to accelerate the growth of this franchise 
over the next couple of years, especially now with what we've seen from James Borrego's ability to develop really just the entire developmental program and procedure they put in place up there. And, and Mitch Kupchak's ability to identify talent in the second round. You know, I don't know if, if P.J. Washington is more than a good player in the NBA moving forward, but I think they at least got that. And then Miles Bridges and Devontae Graham being a very pleasant surprise. There's reason for hope and optimism. Will that translate to tonight? We'll see. And we'll talk about some of the players they could land. A lot to get to here on a Thursday. Jason Lockenfora is next, talking NFL. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ. Live from Charlotte every weekday. And now heard around the world on the radio.com app. It's Wilson and Parcell. This is Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ back with you on a Thursday. NBA draft lottery tonight. Where will the Hornets land? It's an annual question that torments Hornets fans, but I'm feeling some good vibes. We'll get to it coming up shortly, and uh, we got lots to get into. College football, NFL, Major League Baseball rolling on. But right now, we talk a little National Football League with our buddy Jason Lockenfora, Radio.com Sports, NFL insider. He is back with us on the Technicom hotline. JLC, it's been a while, buddy. How you been? I'm doing all right. It's good to talk to you. Uh, midday is, is, is good. I, I got to say, with me doing afternoon drive myself, this uh, I'm glad for, for more reasons than one you made the switch. It's yeah. It's easier to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad we can do this again, man. And uh, I, I just I was joking to start the show that you know I had been uh, laughing at people who were just looking for any reason to be mad at Matt Rule these days. But I'm mad at Matt Rule because I just spent 45 minutes at Panthers camp and didn't get to see a daggone bit of practice because they stayed inside <laughs> the bubble. But, hey, that's how it goes sometimes. Uh, I, I know that you're turn, tuned in to a lot of these training camps right now. What, what's standing out to you as the most interesting news across NFL training camp right now? I mean, it's it's the health and safety. Um, to me, it's the, 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 the minuscule numbers of guys who are testing positive and particularly guys who are still at this point even on the restricted COVID list. Uh, this has gone beyond my wildest expectations. Um, I get the sense from listening to Troy Vincent and Dr. Alan Sills, their chief medical officer, do a conference call yesterday that they're, you know, very pleasantly surprised that it's been handled uh, this well, really uniformly throughout the league. There isn't anything that looks like a Marlins situation or looks like a you know St. Louis Cardinal situation. And I'm not casting aspersions, and I'm not saying that anybody necessarily did anything wrong there to get it, but clearly – um, you've had certain flare-ups in baseball that has disrupted uh, the season to a, a, a high magnitude. So um, we'll see what happens, you know, when people start traveling. And, and these are large traveling parties when we're talking about the NFL. And obviously they're continuing to add protocols in place. Um, they're continuing to uh, be as stringent as they can with this and and we'll see if eventually there is a bubble or if they do have to stop for some period of time um nobody knows but man so far so good i'll, I'll get back to the camp storylines in just a second but you mentioned the playoffs the bubble i saw that headline yesterday the nfl is looking at the possibility they called a it called it a secure environment for the uh, the yeah. playoff what, what does that mean to you do you think that that works does it happen I mean, just from talking informally to coaches and GMs over the last, even before camp opened, 
there was a lot of chatter in the football community that, hey, at some point, you know, we, it may make sense to do what's really working well for the NHL and the NBA and, and to, you know, especially who knows what's going to come second wave in the fall or winter or whatever, that it might make sense to at least have a formal plan that everybody's aware of so you could start making certain travel arrangements and you could start um, securing, you know, certain hub cities, whether it's, you know, one city for each round or whether it's one city for the AFC and one city for the NFC and everybody's at the same hotel or the same group of hotels um, or whether it's one for the entire NFL, which would seem difficult just because of the field conditions and whatnot. Um, But that might make sense. And Sean Payton, one of the people who was sort of supporting this idea or believing at least the NFL should be investigating it. You know, Troy Vincent said yesterday that Sean, you know, has formally sort of talk to the competition committee and others at the league office about this concept and, and further developing it. And um, I, I think it is worthy of further exploration and, and may end up making a lot of sense. Jason, you've got a piece out over at CBS Sports right now, but the, uh, the the quarterback battles to watch in the NFL training camps across the league right now, What what is the most interesting quarterback battle to you? I mean, there, there's there's a few. I, I'm the, the thing in Vegas. I, I'm incredibly intrigued by just because John Gruden always has quarterback wanderlust, and he's been with Derek Carr long enough now to know what he is. And when he looks, when when you hear him gushing after one practice about what a dynamic playmaker Mariota is, that's what he wants at that position. He's been, you know, he was in the booth for a decade and. The thing he seemed to love the most, even more than calling games, was getting with all these college quarterbacks and doing his QB camp, you know, leading up to the draft. Well, he studied one dynamic playmaker after the next, and he's doing this at a period of time when the position is evolving and and offenses around the league in general are evolving. And, And you talk to people who know him well, and this goes back quite some time now, there's a frustration that Derek Carr always wants to play it safe. And you're a better athlete than your rushing numbers show. And you're a better, you've got a bigger arm than your yards per attempt shows. And it can't just be about checking it down to the running back or hitting the tight end in the flat. Like I need more, I need more explosion. And not that Mariota's got the biggest arm in the world, but he can extend plays. And, you know, I, I'm just very interested to see how all that plays out. Um, that division as a whole, I mean, I think Denver's going to play really good defense. Um, the Chiefs' defense got really good as the season went along. Um, you know, uh, that, that, that could be tough. And if they get off to a slow start, I just wonder if, you know, Gruden is fascinated by what's behind door number two. And then, you know, Miami with Tua, I, I think he plays at some point. I think it's probably, you know, around Halloween, maybe a little later. I, I think, you know, Fitzy gets six, eight games, depending on how they're going and, and, and whatnot. But, but I mean, look, Miami tore that whole thing down to the studs to be able to be in position to get a franchise quarterback. With, with 2020 and so much unknown, and are we going to get 16 games in, yada, yada, yada. I, I can't imagine a scenario where they don't at least get a decent look 
at the kid they did take in the first round. Jason, I got a kick out of uh, reports out of New England that Bill Belichick was saying, well, you know, we'd consider a quarterback by committee or, you know, a two-quarterback system right. if we really needed to. No, it, he's not considering that. And and I just saw some of the media up there in Boston, you know, what, one in particular just two days ago saying, man, I'm really impressed with Cam Newton's ball placement. It's much better than advertised. It's funny how the, these narratives have, have kind of spun the way they have. But, I mean, what, what how yeah. do you see that shaping up up there? Look, I wrote the column about the QB hotspots. I didn't even put New England in it because, to me, this is—I mean, there there is no competition there. They're they're going to cater that offense to Cam Newton's strengths. They're going to use Cam's ability um, to force teams to defend him to open up their entire run game um, where they need some help. Uh, and, and they don't have great offensive weapons. Uh, I don't know that they're going to be able to go bombs away. Uh, because I and Keel Harry can't run, you know what I mean, and they don't have a move tight end that worries you anymore. And <sighs> Muhammad Sanu ain't separating from anybody. So I'm I, I and and look, Josh McDaniels knows that and understands that, and Bill Belichick knows that and understands that. I think they will put Cam in positions to succeed. Um, and and I don't have to tell you how well Cam was playing the last time his body allowed him to stay on the field for any prolonged period of time he was playing at an mvp level again um can they keep him healthy will the rigors of you know 16 weeks get to him will something else happen to the foot or the shoulder i none of us can answer all that but one of these things is not like the other in that quarterback room and it's cam who still obviously has freakish a freakish build a freakish skill set and freakish talent Jason Lockenfora, Radio.com Sports NFL Insider. He's with us on the Technicom Hotline. Jason, given what we know about the Panthers roster, what is the best-case scenario, the ideal scenario for Carolina this season? I Carolina and Arizona are two teams that I just feel like in that conference nobody's talking about who will be better uh, than expected. And w- could one of them make the playoffs? Yeah. Do I think it's Carolina? Probably not. Um but if they're 500 and there's an expanded playoff and we're getting it through a normal season, do I think it's entirely out of question that they're, they're playing meaningful football games into the holidays, you know, Christmas? I don't. Um, I don't. But this is not the ideal time to have a full new regime. But nobody knows startups better than, than Matt Rule. And it's funny, I was talking to Deion Dawkins the other day, the left tackle for the Bills after he got his contract. And I'm like, you know, you – Sean McDermott and these guys are doing great things, turning it around there, you know, Brandon Bean, but I'm like, and, and they're tough, but I'm guessing the toughest practices and the greatest team building you ever saw was what, what was going on in, you know, North Philly at Temple with Matt Rule. And he's like, hey, bro, he's like, there's so many similarities between the way it's turned around here and with what Rule did with us at Temple. Um, and he was just absolutely gushing about it. And, and, and you know, he's like, there's th- that, that team is going to turn it around and turn it around relatively quickly. Do they do it in one year? I'm not sure. The offense is interesting to me, though, and despite all the newness, the coordinator and the quarterback are already simpatico. So that's a big plus. And you guys know they drafted all defense, not by design. That's how it worked. That's how it fell into place. But they obviously need a lot of help over there. Um, I think they'll be a competitive football team. Uh, I think they'll be better offensively than, than people might be thinking. Um you know, and if they can get the, the kid Thomas going just a little bit at the tight end spot, I, I think they have a chance to be to be pretty, you know, pretty dynamic. Teddy's going to make smart decisions. Teddy's not going to put them in 
he's not going to put that defense behind the, the eight ball. Um, they're going to play smart, sound football. They'll make big plays when they're there. They've obviously got one of the most explosive running backs in the game. Uh, so I think they'll be an interesting team. And, and if they, they come in around 500, I wouldn't be shocked. Right, last thing then, really quickly, is the get now look college college coaches making the jump to the NFL. It's not always gone well. In fact, there have been right. more that have failed than have succeeded. But I, I guess my question for you is: Is it as difficult as it's always been, or is it easier now to make that transition? Well, I, I think he's a unicorn because he's done it twice. You know, I mean, and he's done it under. I mean, nobody wins at Temple, and nobody wanted Baylor, and and he turned them around. You know, by year two that arrow was pointing strongly in, in the right direction, and then he continued to build on it. Um, and I think he's used to not having four preseason games. And I mean, the college evaluation process is kind of like what the pros have to do with this very weird offseason and, and training camp scenario. Um, so I think he's uniquely equipped to handle it. I think he's special. Um, and I, I think people are going to be really excited uh, by the middle of the season about the direction the team's headed. Jason Lockenfora, Radio.com Sports, NFL Insider. He's with us on the Technicom guest line. All Insider calls brought to you by Pennzoil. Motor oil's made from natural gas. The proof is in the Pennzoil. Jason, we appreciate you, buddy. Have a great show. We'll talk soon. Always my pleasure, brother. Thank you. There you go. Jason Lockenfora with us on the Technicom hotline. Good to have him back. We uh, were doing a, a weekly conversation with Jason for a long time on this show. Well, you know, he was uh, before he was in afternoons up there in Baltimore and his schedule changed. But it's good to be able to chat with him on a near weekly basis now. And uh, we'll continue doing that. Certainly one of the most tuned in to NFL circles. Jason Lockenfora, Radio.com Sports. And hey, that's a reminder. Download the Radio.com app. You can listen all over the country. Just about anywhere in the world with the Radio.com app. Lots of our listeners do, from North Carolina to Arizona to Oregon to New York back on down. It's, uh, it's a great thing to have. Carry WFNZ in your pocket everywhere you go. Download the Radio.com app today. We'll come back. Hour number two. And I got some thoughts on the Hornets draft lottery. And there is something that I think needs to be considered before we revert to the usual grumbling about the draft lottery. I'll tell you next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ.